Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP, always designing for people. HBO Max's True Detective Night Country is the fourth season of the murder mystery anthology series, and it's a bit of a welcome departure. It's set in a remote Alaskan mining town, the victims are a team of scientists, and the mismatched pair of cops investigating the murders this time out are two women, played by Jodie Foster and Kaylee Reese. I'm Glenn Weldon, and today we're talking about True Detective Night Country on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Be My Guest with Ina Garten, a podcast from Food Network. Intimate and captivating conversations with new and old friends. Jennifer Garner, Frank Bruni, Emily Mortimer, and more. Listen to Be My Guest wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Third Love. Third Love makes solutions for every bra problem. Give yourself more lift, smoothing, and get straps that stay put. Every style's wear-tested on real women, made from premium materials, with a virtual fitting room to help you find your perfect fit. Comfort and support are guaranteed. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. This message comes from NPR sponsor Squarespace. Kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI generating instant, personalized results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short- or long-form text. No matter the placement, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Use code HAPPYHOUR to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Support for NPR comes from ADP. Don't know if you've heard, but the latest workplace trend is currently sneaking up on your business. What is it? could be anything. The great cubicle comeback, maybe a global bagel shortage. Dealing with anything is what ADP does best, something they've been doing for over 70 years. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions so businesses are ready for the next anything. ADP, always designing for people. Joining me today is NPR's TV critic, Eric Deggins. Hey, Eric. Hey. Hey. Also with us is Vulture TV critic, Roxana Haddadi. Hey, Roxana. Hello. Hello. So True Detective Night Country is set in Ennis, Alaska, a town where tensions between the indigenous population and a local mine that may be poisoning the land and water are running high. When eight scientists at the local Arctic research station go missing, Detective Liz Danvers, played by Jodie Foster, investigates. She gets paired up with her ex-partner, Detective Evangeline Navarro, played by Kaylee Reese. Neither of them is particularly happy about that for reasons related to a past case. The town is full of ghosts, symbols, dark portents, and clues that hint at a sinister conspiracy, one that may or may not involve the occult, just like previous True Detective seasons. But new showrunner Issa Lopez really shakes up the familiar formula in ways that we will discuss. True Detective Night Country recently concluded on HBO. All six episodes are now streaming on Max. We've seen all six, and we'll be talking about all six, so fair warning. Roxana, let me start with you. What'd you think? Yeah, I really dug this. Uh I am... 
a uh, very committed true detective fan. I love season one. Okay. We still quote it all the time in our house, which is like a weird thing to admit. I was going to say. <laughs> up show. Um, but I really enjoyed season one. I increasingly feel fondness toward everything but Vince Vaughn in season two. Okay. Season three is very well done. Mahershal Ali, great. Sure. So I went into this with sort of like a little bit of trepidation because it's been many years since we saw this format. Uh But I was really pleasantly surprised by how much it leans into, explicitly leans into, the horror and supernatural angle. Uh I really liked the idea that we can take a crime show and all the tropes of a crime show and a mystery and make them weirder and Uh more inexplicable and more unhospitable. Uh I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed these lead performances. And overall, I just thought it felt like a very smart callback to what season one was sort of building into this like Lovecraftian sort of mythos Uh that got dropped and now we're picking it back up. And I, I just I really enjoyed that. I think it's messy. I do think the pacing could have been a little bit better. Okay, But overall, I have a lot of admiration for where it went and i don't know if we want to get into spoilers but i really loved the ending so it worked for me it worked for me i think it nailed the dismount i agree with you there and we'll talk about the mythos because i think it's a question of you can take or leave it to a certain extent mm-hmm. and that's what i really liked mm-hmm. about it but eric tell me what you thought yeah i loved it too and one of the things that i'm really digging is that there's been a number of tv shows recently dark winds on amc reservation dogs on fx Echo on Disney Plus, uh-huh. where indigenous culture has been um, not just a feature of the storytelling, but a central element of it. Uh-huh. There's a f- couple things that are important that comes from that in, in this version of True Detective. The first is sort of the resilience and the strength of indigenous women. Uh-huh. And then the second thing is this sense that uh, mystical things can happen in real life. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes you can't tell whether what you're experiencing is a fever dream or a hallucination or the spirits guiding you. And I love that there are a lot of moments in this uh, version of True Detective where you're not really sure mm-hmm. what exactly happened. <laughs> you know, is somebody hallucinating? Is somebody crazy? Is somebody having mental issues? Or is the spirit world reaching to them and guiding them in ways that indigenous culture has always told us happens? Uh-huh. Uh, especially in this in this town on the edge of forever where, you know, it's dark for six months and people kind of lose it. Mm-hmm. Uh, during that time. Yeah. So. Yeah, I was very happy with this too. I, it's everything I dug about the template of the show, which on, you know, on paper, it's mismatched cops, right? But the thing that makes the show special is it's mismatched cops versus existential dread. And I am always going to be here for that. Um <laughs> And all the stuff that kind of wore thin over the first three seasons, not just the depiction of sexual violence, but the way the show kind of wallows in it. And it wallows in it in a very familiar way to kind of highlight your main character's sense of morality. That is a very familiar reassure the normals kind of cop show. That's CSI. That's SVU. That's, you know, the suspects went to a rave. What's a rave? Oh, it's where the people <laughs> dance and do drugs. You know, it's very that. It's very OK Boomer. Uh 
And I am not going to be gender essentialist enough to suggest that the reason this season works so much better than other seasons, for me anyway, is because Issa Lopez is a woman or that the show's POV characters are women. But I will say it. But here's the thing. Exactly. (laughs) Eric, in terms of what the show's interested in, what it grapples with, it's brand new ground. There is still dread. There's still that coyness about whether, as you said, Eric, it's psychological or supernatural. I mean, Twin Peaks is a show that famously, you know, played with that, but then put all their thumbs and feet and (laughs) and hands and fingers onto the side of the supernatural. Dove entirely into weirdness. Yeah. Jumped, jumped onto the the side of the scale for supernatural. And I like this. I like what you guys are mentioning. The, The effort it takes to carve out a story that could exist feasibly in both worlds. But Roxana, did you want something more definitive? Because you, you're, as far as you're concerned, this is a horror supernatural show. I definitely feel that it is definitive. Mm-hmm. And I think that I want to give a little bit of credit to the fact that season two of True Detective also does right. some sort of supernatural, like characters being visited by ghosts thing. Mm-hmm. And I do think that Rachel McAdams in that season is giving us an interesting female perspective on being a cop. So I I do want to sort of nod to that. But yeah, I mean, this season really goes in on like ghosts. I love ghosts. We do some fun (laughs) stuff with the ghosts in this show. We sort of have this idea that you are always haunted by your past. I mean, this is like horror 101 stuff mm-hmm. that I just think the show does very gracefully in terms of its visuals, its production design, its cinematography. It really puts you in this ominous place. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that is such a change from the previous seasons and doing like more urban sort of environments in season two to really take us to this place that, you know, is just odd in so many different ways. And Uh the series uses that oddness very well, I think. Uh Um, But yeah, so there are two readings here. There is a read where nothing is supernatural, but I think it's really leading us to a you-can't-know answer. And that ambiguity is done really gracefully, I think. I got to say, too, you know, what I love about this show, it feels very directly connected to the first season. Yeah. Almost mm-hmm. like it's not acknowledging that the other two even happened. And and that first season was so male. Mm-hmm. To have this be centered on women and have this be so much about women, even all the way up to its conclusion, that was also a masterstroke uh, to, to me. And another way that you, you just felt this breath of fresh air because – you know, the, the way women have to operate in, you know, our modern society and the way they have to operate in that town mm-hmm. is different and refreshing and something we don't often get to see the way, especially the way it's portrayed here. The only thing that sort of bothers me about all those connections to season one is that I almost feel like the show has to say, here's our view on it. And part of me thinks the show is doing enough interesting on its own that it doesn't need to keep going back to like, here's Travis Cole, he's Rust's dad, here's the evil family from season one, they're also being evil here. (laughs) I do think the season is a little bit strong enough that it didn't need 
those flourishes. But certainly, I mean, like I spoke to Issa Lopez about this. She talks about how much she loves season one. She wanted to put those connections in there as an homage to what season one did. Yeah, but what I like about it is it's there if you need it. Mm -hmm, If you don't, if you don't want to dive in, it still works. I'm here for all that stuff, but I am happy to keep this show a one screen experience because I've been burned before. I was burned actually on the first season of this show where if you become extremely online, there is a whole sea of theories and red yarn threads connecting Carcosa to, and and then what ends up on screen is so much less. And mm-hmm. I worry that all that stuff is in there and it won't hang together. So I'm happy to keep myself from diving down rabbit holes. But one of the things the show does really well is it gives you just enough to go on. So there is this bit in the second episode where Rose, who's played by Fiona Shaw, randomly, uh, <laughs> is a character who's kind of a, a survivalist, what would you call her, psychic kind of character who is survivalist recluse mystic right Right. misanthrope misanthrope (laughs) of course and she's talking to detective navarro about the ghosts that haunt the town let's hear a bit the thing about the dead is that some of them come and visit because they miss you some come because they need to tell you something that you need to hear and some of them just want to take you with them Boom. That is all I need. What a great setup. Yep. You know, it's night for weeks. That last line she speaks is chilling. You wonder why they hire a Fiona Shaw. That's why they hire a Fiona Shaw. That is just enough. It doesn't overload it. It's there if you want to go for it, but you, you don't need to go down the rabbit hole. That episode is when I stopped watching in my basement. I was yeah. like, you know, <laughs> I really shouldn't be watching this. Down here. Yeah. So I also thought the show really worked structurally because, you know, listeners experienced it week by week, but I didn't. I tore this through thing in an afternoon. And whenever you do that, sometimes you pick up things that kind of get lost in the edit. You know, there's some loose ends, there's some abandoned threads, but no, I thought this was really tidy. And I didn't think that would happen because those first episodes are doing so much work to kind of load you up with characters and storylines and backstory. And it was like, this is episode three, dudes. We can't keep introducing new characters, especially when I realized this was only six episodes, which by the way, American showrunners, that is a perfect length for series. I mean, <laughs> the Brits know it. The Danes, Norwegians, and Swedes know it. Learn from them. Now, there were a few things that felt rushed. And we let's talk about the pacing because I know you mentioned that, Roxana. Because, you know, there was a – toward the end of the series, somebody says, that's why we need to get to the caves right now. And it's like hmm. – well, you need to get to the caves right now because there's only one episode left. Right. Logistically, you need to get to the caves, but narratively, you really don't. Uh, how did this work for you structurally, Roxana? Let's talk about the pacing. I enjoyed the six episodes. I think it could have been eight uh-huh. just to let some of the character dynamics breathe a little bit. As you said, okay. the first two episodes are super exposition heavy yeah, to yeah. sort of explain to us like who is Liz Danvers, who is Evangeline Navarro, why do they hate each other currently. And what season one does so well is gives us all the long shots of Rust and Cole in the car, bantering with each other, bickering with each other, going to dinner with each other's families. Like there's a lot of that I think that I missed in this just to sort of build out the characters and make them more full And then five and six are really – I mean, five and six are a great watch. There's Uh so much happening in five and six in terms of like big action set pieces. You finally get elements of the mystery that are explained. But I think, you know, like my criticism, which is really praise, is that I wanted 
more. And I think the sort of bookends of the season could have each been elongated a little bit to Mm. give us more fullness. Oh, I see. But yeah, I'm curious, like, Eric, what did you think? Well, I mean, you know, I think the number of episodes in a limited series is the ultimate conundrum of the streaming age. (laughs) Because there are times when it feels like there's too many. There's times when it feels like it's too few. But I, I agree, this one could have used a little more time. I think part of the problem, too, is that because of the nature of how these two women eventually re-team, we didn't get much of them working together. Mm-hmm. You know, a mm-hmm. great deal of this is them working separately, and then they're forced by circumstance to come together in the last two episodes. And I think that's that's part of the issue, too, is... You know, the great thing about the first season of True Detective to me is that you start out believing that Woody Harrelson's character is the sane one and that McConaughey's character is the insane one. And as it goes on, those two people switch. Uh-huh. And you start to realize how unbalanced Woody Harrelson's character's life is and how, you know, how much he's hanging on by a thread. And you start to see how. You know, Russ' perspective makes a certain kind of sense, and he has a a set of values that make sense to him. Mm -hmm. And you don't have the time to get that kind of metamorphosis amongst the characters in this one because there's only six episodes, in in, in part. Yeah, I get that. I still think it it worked the length that it was. But as much as we're praising this show for – for breaking out of the box, for opening up what it's dealing with, what it grapples with. I mean, still, Liz's character, the one played by Jodie Foster, is still kind of defined by a trauma uh, in her past and also one that's going on in the present that revolves around her status as a mom. And I was just wondering if that felt uh, reductive in any way, or is that just legitimately exploring something about womanhood that many women experience, that women process in very specific ways? What do you guys think? I thought that it was legitimate because of where the season ends. Mm-hmm. And I will say, spoiler alert, I guess. Yep. But, you know, the season ends with the sense that all of the Native and Indigenous women in this community who Isa Lopez told me they called the Justice Ladies during mm-hmm. production, mm-hmm. the Justice Ladies all come together, right? And they are taking this sort of like matriarchal defensive role in their community and getting accountability and justice for the woman among them who was killed by these men. Mm-hmm. You know, Navarro understands what they did as a Native woman. Mm-hmm. Danvers understood what they did as a mother. And mm-hmm. so I thought that it came really full circle to give us sort of a different idea of what motherhood means, not just in terms of like your relationship with a child, mm-hmm. but your relationship with the community that you're born into and that you bring a child into and that you defend. I liked it as sort of a larger scale expression of what motherhood can be. Mm-hmm. But like this show loves parents. Like yeah, that's every true. season <laughs> of the show, you know, it's dealing with like, what is the burden of bringing another life into this world? That's the existential dread. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's done very well here to sort of say, okay, you lose someone that you're supposed to be responsible for. How much do you blame the world for that? And how mm-hmm. much do you blame yourself for that? And what do you do when the uh, you have the opportunity to change it or fix it? Both of these lead characters, Danvers and Navarro, 
are women who are severely hurt by their perceived failure to to be that parent, to be that caretaker. You know, they each have somebody in their lives that they were trying desperately to take care of, and they have failed them mm-hmm. in, in different ways. And so part of that humanizes them because, you know, if particularly if, if Liz Danvers didn't have, if you didn't see her trying to be a good parent and grappling with loss as a parent, she would just seem like a complete jerk <laughs> through the whole thing. <laughs> there has to be something about these characters that keep you engaged with them as, as, as people. And so that side of them where they're trying like heck to take care of somebody and, and they're failing. Yeah. You know, that's really important for both of these characters. You know, it's 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 funny. You can see a character in a situation that normally would feel like a cliche, mm-hmm. but if that character is positioned just right and it's something really important for that character and it makes them feel like a three-dimensional person, it doesn't seem like a trope. And that and that's why that stuff didn't feel like tropish to me with these two women. So let's talk about the elephant who is uh, not in the room, conspicuously not in this room. That is Nick Pizzolatto, who was the showrunner writer for the first three seasons. He is now only an executive producer. Uh, He recently weighed in, apparently, Roxana, on his thoughts on this season. You want to give us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So he is not involved. Mm -hmm. So he retains an EP credit, but he doesn't have any writing credits. He doesn't have any directing credits. And before the show came out, and I believe in its first few weeks of airing, Um, he was posting things on social media about, quote, how uh, so stupid certain narrative elements were and making clear that he had nothing to do with this season. And it's just, I don't know, man, not classy. Yeah, it's not (laughs) Not the best way to handle that. So Hollywood petty, too, man. Just petty in that very specific and, you know, sort of chef's kiss way that Hollywood can do, you know. Unfortunately, I think also like tapping into what can be, as always, the worst part of any fandom mm-hmm. where it's like a woman dared touch my toys. <laughs> How dare yeah. she? Yeah. <laughs> and there yeah. was a little bit of that, I think. And that sucked. Yeah. I mean, frankly, you know, this guy had a chance to create something as good as what we're seeing now. Uh, Roxana, if you say you went back to the second season and enjoyed it, I believe you. I tried and I could not get through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and as much as I love Mahershala Ali, the third season was kind of a mess too. Mm-hmm. And Issa Lopez shows up and brings all of this mysticism and female energy and indigenous culture and rescues this anthology. And that's his response. You know, give me a break. Right. We sort of talked about this. Uh, the performances are really good. <laughs> Maybe that's yeah. all I need to say <laughs> yes. about it. Yeah. To this series' yeah. credit, it's casting and it's uh, casting. who yeah. it selects as its ensembles are always very, very strong. Mm-hmm. And I think Foster and Reese have like a really good dynamic, uh, very tangibly hate-filled but also I think really tender and fulfilling by the end. So I would just want to say the performances, they're good. Performance is good. <laughs> you heard it here. 
probably last, but still, performances are good. <laughs> All right, well, I, I think we can summarize, we can synthesize here. True Detective is back, baby. We want to know what you think about True Detective Night Country. Find us at facebook.com slash pchh. That brings us to the end of our show. Eric Deggins, Roxana Haddaddy, this was a fun one. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. We want to take a moment to thank our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus subscribers. We appreciate you so much for showing your support of NPR. If you have not yet signed up and you want to show your support and listen to the show without a single solitary sponsor break, head over to plus.npr.org slash happy hour or visit the link in our show notes. Could do that. This episode was produced by Anna Isaacs and Cher Vincent and edited by Jessica Reedy and Mike Katzif and Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Glenn Weldon and we'll see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Delta Airlines. When you think about it, half the trips the world takes are trips home. And those at Delta are travelers just like you. That's why they try to make you feel at home long before you even get there. This advertisement comes from our paid sponsor, Fundrise. High interest rates mean that real estate assets are available at a discount compared to previous valuations. The Fundrise flagship fund plans to expand its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. Add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio at fundrise.com NPR. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund before investing. Read the prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. Okay, close your eyes for a second. Now imagine you're on your dream vacation. No work calls to answer, no text messages to respond to, just your suitcase and an opportunity. The opportunity to just take yourself out of your routine and travel deeper. How to actually take that dream trip. That's on the Life Kit Podcast from NPR.